Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is Wake Up and Smell the Coffee, the world of coffee trading with Moshe Tawil. Moshe has a fascinating job, which is certainly not run-of-the-mill. As a coffee trader, he travels the world going to exotic places like Latin America, India and Vietnam to source the highest quality coffee beans, which he sells to Australian customers, roasters and cafes, big and small. Moshe has an enormous variety in his work. He wakes up early every morning to track the price of coffee beans on the New York Stock Exchange and spends his days meeting with customers and negotiating the terms and logistics of transferring coffee beans to our shores. You will learn that a lot goes into your delicious barista-made morning coffee, and as you would expect, Moshe is a connoisseur of coffee himself. In Ruben's rant, I discuss a bad experience I had with an online purchase, and in Propellerhead of the Week, I discuss a great way to track your social media accounts. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jayette or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zelwa. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We're a boutique financial advice firm that work with business owners, professionals, and those planning for retirement, and we are based in Station Street, Malvern. Now, I've been doing this podcast since around February of last year, and there's a whole bank of them, about 41 episodes, in fact. Uh, I welcome you to uh, listen to any previous episodes. There's a few ways that you can do that. Uh, you can probably the easiest way is to search on iTunes or Stitcher for the Finance Hour. Subscribe, and you'll see all the episodes there. Otherwise, you can go to the website, adaptwealth.com.au. I've got them all there. And indeed, you could actually go to the Jair website as well, j-air.com.au. And all the podcasts, uh, both of mine and, in fact, all the other presenters are on there. Some general advice warnings, anything we talk about today, don't go out and do it at home just yet. Uh, Wait till you get some advice from your accountant, from your lawyer, from your trusty financial planner, if one exists and also potentially just from the neighbor next door when he comes over for a barbecue uh, and has a beer with you. Often you'll get the best advice from the neighbor, actually. Um, But anyway, on to the show this week. The topic of this week's show is Wake Up and Smell the Coffee, the world of coffee trading with Moshe Tawil. Yes, it's not the most usual of careers or businesses, but it's going to be a fascinating one. Moshe traverses the entire world searching out coffee, coming back here, selling it to cafes, to roasters, and he actually has a fascinating story, which I'm sure you will enjoy. Uh, Before that, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is a pretty personal story. It's about a bad online experience which I've had. Uh, You might have heard from me before that I moved offices around eight weeks ago to my new swanky offices in Station Street. And as part of that, we needed to get some furniture. And one particular piece of furniture we needed was a credenza, which you may or may not have heard of before. It's like a little bookshelf that's got sliding doors. Anyway, searched far and wide, found a good one online, 
cost about 320 bucks. Uh, paid for it and was waiting delivery. And we waited and waited and waited. Called them up, no answer. Called them up again, finally get someone. Yes, it'll be delivered next week. Called them again, no answer. Email, no answer. Two months later, we still haven't got the darn thing. So in the end, what I had to do was put in a complaint to uh, Commonwealth Bank, to my credit card, and uh, it was a bit of a process there. I've got to explain everything I tried to do to try and get the money back because I've given up on getting the actual product itself. And I've put all the request in and I haven't heard back from them yet, but I'm hopeful of doing that. But, you know, most of my online experiences have been really good. This was a stinker and it's just something to be aware of and it's certainly something that got my goat. So that is my rant of the week. Okay, uh, we're just going to take a very, very quick break and then we will get... Uh, Moshe Tawil on the phone to talk about the world of coffee trading. Okay, welcome back to the Finance Hour. Topic of this week's show is wake up and smell the coffee. The world of coffee trading with Moshe Tawil. Moshe is a coffee trader, general manager of Pan American Coffee Group and international coffee traders. According to his LinkedIn profile, he sources raw coffee globally for master coffee blenders. Only master coffee blenders. Moshe, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Ruben? Thank you for having me. Excellent. It's great to have you on. Uh, as I said, this is probably, we've had different people on the show. We've had physios, we've had people who help people with careers, uh, people who talk about the share market. We certainly haven't had a coffee trader on before. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be um, with, with, you, with your team. Excellent. Now, Moshe, uh, the, probably the, uh, as I said, I read from your LinkedIn profile that you source raw coffee globally for master coffee blenders. I'm guessing there's a little bit more to your job. So can you just explain, uh, you know, briefly for our listeners, what does a coffee trader actually do? Sure. What we do is, number one, we start with the market here. And by, by, by writing, we work with master um, coffee roasters. means we work with, with people that know what their customers want. Um, we we understand what is it that um, is required in the local markets and go to the farms and yep. work with farmers into into making sure that the preparation is right for the for the coffees. Um, bring the coffees in, test them, and keep them fresh. So move them fast at at, at good levels or at good prices. That's it. That's basically our job. Okay, so let me just uh, go back a second there. So first of all. Your customers are your clients here. Are they uh, the, the the cafes, or who are you know, who are the the people that you're bringing in these coffee beans for? Our customers here are really the roasters. Anyone that is buying raw coffee yep. and and putting it together, blending, and uh, and then tailoring their blends to the different segments of the market. So some of our customers would want to work with um, large commercial segments and some are very specialized on high qualities and, and micro markets. Right. So the cafes so here do, sorry, the cafes here, some of them will actually roast themselves and there are other ones that are what are they like wholesalers and then they roast and supply it to a whole lot of a whole lot of, you know, cafes at the end of the day. Correct. So, so some roasters they, they have their own shops. Yeah. Some roasters they only wholesale to other shops. And some little shops, really little they would, they would also want to buy a couple of bags a month yeah. of coffee, which is like 100 kilos a month or whatever, and sell to, to the little, you know, to the little uh, segment of their customers. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So, um, okay. So then tell us, where do you actually source the coffee from? Is it, you know, do we grow any in Australia or, or what sort of, what sort of countries do you go to to actually, uh, to get, to get the stuff? Yeah, so uh, number one, to answer to your question, yes, Australia does grow coffee, um, but we do not buy any coffee from Australia. Right, so Australia no coffee is, No, it's actually quite good, but um, <laughs> the, there, is a, there is a captive market in Japan and, and some nations in Asia. I think they do sell in here also to some markets, but we, our, our company in particular, do not work with Australian coffees. We specialize in, um, in the Latin American segments, Mm-hmm. as well as um, the segments from Asia and Africa. Yeah. And we make sure that those markets are well represented here. So Brazil, Colombia, you know, um, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and so on. And is that your point of difference, like for the, for the roasters that you bring it in? Like, do they, do they really want to know, you know, that the coffees come from certain regions? Well, I would say that our point of difference is that we are trying to have an impact at origin, and mm. wherever it is that we go, we try to um, make sure that the whole chain is well represented. And so we, we, don't, we don't think we would be um, showing more than what everybody else does. But what we do is we are allowing the roasters in here to understand what impact they have at the farm. So when they have a contract, we know, okay, we're going to buy some proper machinery to process those coffees, and then there is that relationship. That's so their point of difference. Right, so they actually, what you're saying, that it's not just about delivering a bag to them and then roasting. You're saying they actually want to know deeper where it's come from, and, 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 and when you say relationship with a farm, what... Do, what do they want to know? They want to know the, the farmer or, you know, or the patch of dirt that it's on? I'm just surprised well, why they would be interested. Yeah, well, n- number one, when you know your supplier, you mitigate part of your risk. Right. So, you, you know, the, the coffee market can be extremely volatile. Mm. It's a commodity that can go all over the place on, on values. It can become very expensive or suddenly very cheap. So the, the, the relationship, number one, it reduces that risk, it mitigates that risk. Number two, it allows the roaster in here to know that he's going to have some consistency on quality. Mm. And, and that relationship also provides uniqueness to each roaster. So we do try to differentiate between the different rosters and the different farmers oh, and allow them to, to line themselves up yeah. so that they, then they do have a point of difference on the market. Right. So, but when you go over to source these beans, are you are you yourself actually an expert in uh, in testing whether they're any good, the coffee beans? And wouldn't it also further to that? Wouldn't it be difficult because you're actually just getting the raw product? You can't just turn that raw product from the farm straight into a cup of coffee, can you? Yeah, d- definitely you don't. And I, no, I wouldn't call myself an expert. Um, we 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 just serving. <laughs> Mr. A, a I've good seen market. your coffee machine at home, mate. You're an expert. <laughs> Of, uh... Thank you. No, no, we, 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 we much listen to that. What, what we do really is we make sure that the, the roasters get uh, a direct access to the potential product. Mm. Um, I guess that, that's what we really rather. So if, if a roaster knows what he wants, we prefer them to be the ones deciding. Um, we do believe that the farming regions today are very well developed into understanding what they are uh, offering. And so 
we as a company and, and myself personally, we do believe that the best leads we get from the actual producers of coffee, mm. they know their product better. Yeah. And, and we like to say we represent their view into what the product is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, yeah. explain to me as well, I'm just interested because there's lots of different coffee brands here. And as you say, it's, you don't always get consistency from one cafe to the next. I mean, obviously, you've got everything from the massive brands like Gloria Jeans to, they say, the specialty ones. Do they tend to have different requirements, those sort of big mass brands as opposed to the boutique? Or are they all just trying to get, you know, the best taste in coffee? Yeah, no, I think that they do have different requirements um, because they have different segments. And as, as you have companies that understand their customers, they want to make sure that the product is tailored to service the customer expectation. Right. So if, if we mention any, any large companies making, uh, you know, roasting hard, large volumes, they would want to have the large volumes of coffees from origin available throughout the year and try to reduce the variation to in mm. increase consistency. Yeah. So there will be a key requirement for, for a large uh, roaster or a large retailer. For the smaller retailer or the smaller roaster, maybe they would actually find value on having a different yeah. product yeah. Having, all the time. Yeah. So the, that, that yeah. variation is considered a positive thing. Mm. So, so yeah. therefore, you can deal with smaller farms, with more, you know, more unique preparations, and and that's how yeah the, the market is yeah. the, the 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 coffee market is very fragmented yeah um yeah. so the segments are very small and there are thousands of them mm. so that's actually and that's what it, so that's interesting but so so when that coffee bean comes here as you say it's you know differentiated maybe from whatever region it's come from but then the the process of roasting i imagine that that change significantly changes the character of the coffee bean before it then hits the, I don't know, before it gets ground and hit the, hits the coffee cup. I mean, how, how important is that actual roasting process to the, to the output? Is it, is it a Very simple thing important. to chuck it in the oven and, and roast it, or is it... No, uh, no, no. <laughs> well, if, if I would say to you, number one, obviously the, the farmer is one step. The logistics is another step. Make yeah. sure you bring the coffee nice and quick right. and, and keep, it, keep it fresh and, and clear from moist and all that. But then, yeah, the blending, the roasting is very important. The darker you go, the more uh, profiles you eliminate. Mm. So some, some roasters like to roast very light and provide um, additional um, flavors to, mm. to the coffee. Mm. Some roasters like to have it real dark and give that, you know, nut chocolate note rather than that mm. flowery note when the coffee is light roasted. But then... Yeah. The, the other component, as you know, it's the barista, the machine. So, so every every part of the chain has a, an important um, input into what you're going to have at the end. Mm. I guess even down then, to the quality yeah. of the milk as well. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, the milk and 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 as you know, what we're having with that coffee. Sometimes you you would have um, coffees that are highly graded on their on their flavor profile. But if you're gonna be having that with milk, like you just mentioned, mm. then maybe that, that high grade profile becomes in a way irrelevant. Right. Or or if you're gonna be eating something with that coffee, then you know, if you're having let's say something very sweet, 
mm. and then having a bit of coffee. Maybe you're not going to be tasting yeah. those profiles because the sugar, or if you're a smoker, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so that, that's, yeah. I've got to say, personally, I do love having something sweet with a, with a bit of coffee. That's one of my uh, one of my little pleasures. Okay, so we've talked about a couple of things that you do in this job. So obviously, you are. It seems to me that you're dealing with roasters here. You're travelling overseas and, and and finding coffee at Origin. Uh, what other sort of things occupy your day in that sort of? I guess I guess there's a big you know missing link there between going to the going to the farms and then providing it here. What what other things do you do as part of your day to you know to manage that process? Very good question. So as, as you know, we discussed this, uh, the, the difference between coffee and, and many other products is that we are also partly, you know, traders in that mm. we have to be connected to the terminals and know what New York prices um, of coffee are doing every day. Mm. So we started very early this morning at 6 a.m. when New York was about to close. Um, so an example, the New York coffee prices closed at 109 this morning, which is quite low. And so the first thing we do is we grab that number and we know that's the price that New York set. We have to make sure that we have positions closed in New York and, mm. and then we run to check our currency because our currencies, as you know, they're going to be a big part of it. We're importing a lot of coffee from U.S. dollars into, into Australian dollars. Sorry, so, I'm just going to so be there for one second. Uh, that's yeah. something that a lot of people would know. So the actual price of the coffee beans is actually determined by a market, by like a, like a, there's a tradable market in it, a financial, a financial trading that goes on with that coffee bean. The coffee Correct. Bean so and, coffee and, is a commodity. And does that then determine how much you're paying your farmer for it? Does that, is there a direct relationship? There is a correlation, yes. So yeah, the, the, the coffee prices um, start by being benchmarked into New York or London mm-hmm. um, because they're a commodity. And so when New York set set up this morning 109.90 for deliveries in August, for shipments in August against September, then what happens is the farmer would say, okay, at 109, I would add a differential. Mm. So they would add some points, and then they would they would say, okay, that's my free on board price, and that would trigger uh, the formula depending on the qualities that they're preparing. So that must, benchmark. Yeah. yeah, that must be exceptionally difficult for the farmers because you're saying every day they could wake up and there's a different price they've got to sell it for. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very tough um, reality to be um, uh, g- growing a volatile commodity, mm. and coffee is extremely volatile because it's used by hedge funds to to um, let's say. Um, put money in safe positions at times. Mm. So an example, today we are in a, in a reality where the, um, the markets in New York are very bullish, as you all know. So, so hedge funds are putting money in, in, um, in blue chip and, and shares and, right. all, and all sorts yeah. of... So, so they're, they're taking money out of the soft commodities. Right, right, like so soft commodities are lowering value. Yeah. But then they also have to deal with currency, as you know. They, right. They're selling in US dollars, yeah. but they're paying their 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 farm the, you know their producers and and the pickers and everybody in the local currency so that's really interesting i mean so i mean a lot of the trading then that goes on in these markets in coffee has got nothing to do with the actual physical coffee bean with the actual coffee beans you bring in it's just a it's just like a financial product almost that's being traded 
Yeah, what we say is the fundamentals sometimes don't play the, the role that they should be playing. Mm. Because what you're saying in, in, in our words is fundamentals are the laws of supply and demand. If there's yeah. 150 million of coffee available and the consumption is 100 million bags, then the price should be steady. Mm. And, that, and that should be the rule. But because of the use of soft commodities on the financial markets, then the soft commodities have become extremely volatile, mm. um, not directly related to fundamentals. They do justify it sometimes and say, oh, there's going to be a bad crop, there was a mm. rain out of season, yeah, or, or, you know, there's a problem with, a, with, a, with um, a pest or, 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 yeah. or this or that. But really, at the end of the day, if, if there is high demand for um, um, hedge funds to buy currency, they will pull out of commodities and buy currency. It's very, that very, reason. yeah, yeah. It's very interesting, Moshe. So I imagine, as I said, I think it would be hard for the farmers, but it must be hard for you as well because I imagine your roasters here they want a definitive price, probably a few months in advance of what they're going to be buying it for. And you're saying that what you buy it for is just a constantly moving, moving dial. How do you manage that? The expectations of the of the purchases versus the reality of what you have to deal with when buying it. We do set contracts, so we do negotiate with farmers vis-a-vis -vis roasters and agree on a price for mm -hmm. lots. So then once I, let's say, if I got, I, I got a container of Brazil and I looked it in at a particular price, I made sure that that price was also agreed by roasters. Right. So we are locked in on that transaction. So you've and got so, a match, yeah. Yes. And so today, an example, I know the market is 109, so I'm working on 109 and making sure that all my offers are matching today's market. Before opening, I'm going to have to close my positions so yeah. that the, the roster knows what he's paying and the farmer knows what we're willing to pay. Mm -hmm. okay. And we're just in the middle making sure that everybody's happy. <laughs> uh, okay. That's, uh, that sounds like a harder job than it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Moshe... Uh, I want to just maybe move a little bit into your personal story. So I'm tipping that there's no... Uh, there's no university course for, on coffee trading. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, the path, your personal path to, um, you know, to becoming a, a coffee trader? Where did it start? Well, and... First of all, let me, let me give you some news. There are some fantastic courses in Italy. There is something called the Ely University. So if people want to do a course in coffee, there are some uh, recognized um, uh, tertiary courses in, in Europe. Okay. Um, yeah, that's number one, but I didn't know about that one. <laughs> but but now I know. Um, I, I have done just international trade, and I, you know, I traded oils. You, you might know the company with Billis Holdings. And, um, and you know, we started here working with, with the Goldschlager Group. We went to East Timor. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Goldschlager, then he wanted to help the Timorese. So we went there and, and did whatever we could to, to buy whatever was there available. And, um, and then we obviously started bringing some coffees from Brazil, but, but very slowly, you know, without going too crazy, one container at a time. After we bought one container and sold it, we went and bought mm. two containers. And slowly, yeah. slowly, we, we worked ourselves up into, into making sure that the market was getting a little bit of, of what we could offer. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So you had some basic... You know? Yeah, so you had some basic... Uh, you know, degree in sort of international trade, but then it sounds to me like you really had to um, had to learn on the job. I mean, did you have somebody who mentored you in in doing this, or did you was it just trial and error? 
a lot of people, we, we always had, um, you know, family members, you know, that, that always are, are, are watching over what we're doing and helping us with principles of trade, um, you know, the financing, which is very important, mm. uh, all the cash flow issues. Uh, at the end of the day, trading coffee is really about doing, um, you know, working with sound principles of trade, right. uh, like any other uh, commerce, and making sure that the, 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 the basic rules are right. So yeah. I guess, yeah. And then, and then we learn a lot at, at the farms, you know, at Origin. Mm. The, the, those are the best teachers for us. Yeah, and then I guess in terms of you know relationships that you have here with roasters and the like, I mean that must I suppose that's just general business relationships, but that's something that you would have had to cultivate over the years, I'm guessing. Well, I agree with you that, that in here the the roasters, you know, I I always tell the story when I came here first time in 1992, and I met the the roaster of Grinders Coffee, Giancarlo Giusti. Um, he was trying to get an account called Cafe Cucina. In, in Chapel Street, uh, and, and I remember sitting and talking to him and learning. There was then an owner called Arnaldo of the, of, you know, very uh, a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, then you, you learn from them. Or you know, I remember sitting for weeks at the um, at the roastery of um, um, Cofex, which was the, the Crivelli family. Mm. Um, then you know, again in the nineties, um, and um, yeah, that's how you learn. And, with, with, with the guys. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, this might be of some interest to our listeners. I'm going back a little bit, but you're obviously de- dealing with roasters, and I'm guessing you deal with some sort of small businesses as well. I mean, how how do you find, uh, you know, in general, like those roasters, those cafes, you know, the way they run their business? Do you get any sort of insight into the difficulty of, of running sort of a retail food type business? Yeah, um, we, we do learn a lot because we need to understand how consumption varies. Mm. Um, so we try to support the, the retailers into giving them information that attracts the customers or that, or that satisfies the customers. Mm. So mm. We, we become, we, we become a, a player in giving master classes yeah. and, and exposing our work to the customers of our customers. Right, um, right. We we do that often, and, but but again, this is just for us to be support, and that's right. how we learn also how our product is. So right. when when we are able to be at the retail spot, and and we see how a customer likes or doesn't like a coffee, we then can adjust the work that we do back back to the farm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more because I know you do quite a bit of travel. Uh, you know, sourcing coffee beans. See, see you. And some countries, even to sort of third world countries, you go to. Can you tell me a little bit about how you how you cope with doing business in in different cultures? What what are the big differences? You know, doing working with those with those countries. Yeah, well, I mean, thinking out loud with you, and you know, remembering the conversations we had, we always we always um, visit nations in in Latin America. Mm-hmm. We discuss so. When we are in, in places like um, Colombia, an example, or Brazil, um, you know, we're always making sure that we are considering how the the, the producers um, look at their next generation, and, and that's for them very important, mm. rather than just looking at a transaction. Um, and so, what do you mean by the next generation? Well, so, sometimes. 
sometimes the the transaction for them is not going to be that important mm. as as to it could be here on on a business on a day to day basis. And for them, it's more important when they're going to um, provide you um, their coffees. How is that going to impact the work on the long term, the next ten years? Mm. Um, you know, we always say that when we deal with farmers in in Colombia, um, their first um, their, their first um, question in their mind is how much more land they would need to put at at um, at disposal to create more coffee to make more coffee mm-hmm. and not just how much money they're going to make so that so they're thinking very long term what the they're thinking about their relationships very long term as opposed to i don't know the the businesses that you deal with here that are that are just worried about the next transaction correct and yes I, and, and, I, and i thought yeah. that, that and, and maybe that's also very common in farming in general, mm. I just don't have the exposure to other farming, you know, sectors. But in the coffee farming and in in Latin America in particular, because I understand them, because I lived there so many years, um, I I I got to understand how they look at the business differently mm. than sometimes we would look at it in in the trading nation. But do you think that that's just specific to farming, or you think that's generally how they run business, or don't you know? Yeah, I think I think that that seems to me to be the way the farmers I deal with are. I, I haven't dealt with others, mm. so I wouldn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you tr- and you go to Asia as well, don't you? To source beans, is that, is that right? Yes, uh, we we deal with India. Mm. Uh, in India, we deal with a a, um, a the southern western regions, um, in Bangalore and Mangalore, and. Yeah, it's also um, a, 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 it's different in that the owners of the land, they, they, they take a lot of responsibility for everybody that, that works the land, that lives on the land, mm. which are not necessarily the owners. So in wow. India also we found a, a different way. In, in Colombia what we found was that there were very um, small farmers, Lots and lots of small farmers yeah. dealing with us, and they were the owners of the land. Mm. Um, in Brazil, an example, we have large farmers. Um, and, uh, you know, an example in Cuba, we deal with the government uh, because they, they are the owners of the land. Hmm. And so in, in different nations, you know, you deal with different... Different, different um, Yes. Yeah, and in that, Vietnam, it's the same thing, like Cuba. Right, and, and so it's very different sort of the way you, I don't know, the way you have to negotiate with the... In the different countries, correct. So you know, we were talking about Cuba, and we, mm. and we always joke that with Cuba we adore their coffee, mm. but 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 the um, the relationship is not a commercial relationship because there is no a capitalist you know system. So the relationship is we have Cuban coffee is the best coffee in the in the galaxy in the history of humankind. That's how mm. it's presented. Yeah. <laughs> and so we say okay. And then they say, well, this is how much you're going to pay. <laughs> right. So it's not like you, you don't trade coffee like that in Brazil. Right. You so, don't trade yeah. coffee like that in, in, in Colombia. You know what I mean? So with Cuba, it's, <laughs> then that, what, they tell you what the price is and it's either take it or leave it. That's 100% <laughs> spot on. And, Moshe, I mean, so you talk about the farms wanting those, or particularly Latin America, wanting those long-term relationships. I mean, do you... But how much do you want Do you switch and change where you source it from? I mean, do you... You know, have farmers that you've dealt with for the last fifteen, twenty years, or are you, or are you constantly looking for I don't know different areas, better prices, and the like? 
I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm looking for better prices. If I'm looking at different areas, it's because I know that the coffee sector is always evolving. Mm. So, you know, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have the varieties that you have today in Vietnam. Vietnam today is the second um, grower uh, exporter in the world of coffee. Mm. It wasn't like that. In, in 2001, they were not even number 10. Um, and so today, uh, Vietnam is an important player. So yeah. we go and look at Vietnam a lot. Mm. Um, and an example, Brazil today is doing a lot of work with higher grade than they used to do 15 years ago. Mm. Um, so is Colombia. So you're always looking at the regions that you know they're growing coffee to see what's, what's coming up new. Yeah. Yeah. Indonesia, an example, doing mm. amazing coffees. Mm. Uh, and that wasn't and, and the case some regions, years ago. Yeah, and, and, and some regions go the other way, sadly. An example, mm. you know, 20 years ago, Bolivia was amazing in coffee, and today, mm. sadly, they're the, the lacking production. Mm. Uh, Peru is producing fantastic coffees, while uh, P&G has dropped their, their qualities yeah. dramatically. Yeah. So this is why we are, we're always on the move. Yeah. Okay, Moshe, um, I mean, it sounds like your work is very, very varied. Um, I want to ask you, though, what... What's the most sort of challenging part uh, of your work that you find you have sort of, you know, that you struggle with perhaps? Well, I think we know that when we discuss the issue of the, um, of the, uh, the, the volatility of the price, yeah. Yeah. That, that's very challenging. Mm. You know, we're working with, a, you know, more, more, more often than not a perishable um, um, commodity, so you cannot buy it and sit on it. You've got to move it fast. Um, and then prices can turn against you, and suddenly, if you got stock worth a hundred thousand dollars, tomorrow can be worth fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So, Jeez. so that that's quite challenging, and mm. means that when you take a position, you got to move. Um, you know, you got to wake up in the morning really early and get it done. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's never tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, sometimes people think, oh man, you're obsessed. You you're working all this time, but it's part of it's the character. Mm. Yeah, and I think that in itself, yeah. if I can just finish with, mm. with that, is that that in itself is, becomes the passion that you live with it all the time. Mm. So if you can leave your work, then then you can do this. Yeah, well, that sounds uh, it sounds tough. I mean, I think it's a probably a um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's different in all work, but definitely, I think the biggest difficulty for people is dealing with things that are out of their control. And to some extent, as you say, you monitor it as much as you can, but. But geez, if you know Wall Street's trading and you know, coffee's hot or it's not, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah, that's why. This is why we start the morning with you know a good prayer and make sure that uh, God is with us. And <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> okay. And what would be on the flip side? What would be the the things that you like most about your work? Well, I do love the the um, the, the cultural um, aspect of being able to be in touch with people all over the world yeah. all the time. I adore that in here are all the different cultures that we deal with, you know, the Italian community and the Greek community, the Lebanese community, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Australian aspect of, of the, you know, mm. the Australian aspect is very sophisticated, how they drink their coffees. So, so it's fantastic. And on the other hand, going to origin, dealing with different nations, I think that's what it really gives mm. me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Moshe, and then also, I guess, uh, what about your con- personal consumption of coffee? How much do you actually enjoy a good cup of coffee yourself? Oh, you 
at five. I have, as you know, I have my my timer on my machine. So it's <laughs> the first coffee in the morning before yeah. before a run. And yeah, I, I try to do no more than five coffees a day, but yeah. I'm trying to even go to four. We'll see. Yeah. I, I'm 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 doing my best, you know. But do you do you love it? I adore it. It's too, much. <laughs> it's too good. Well, look, I do have to. Uh, I do have to make a conflict of interest here. I've got to say, I do come to your place uh, fairly regularly, <laughs> and uh, your coffee machine is uh, is looks like it's fit for the hospital. It's so clean, uh, and uh, yeah, you do you do make a good cup of coffee. Thank you, thank you. And you, we enjoy we enjoy that. Yeah, it seems to me you enjoy uh, you enjoy making it for uh, for friends as well. Absolutely, you know, s- serving is is part of what I think. You need to you need to like you need to like serving and servicing. It's it's a good thing if you take it with the right approach. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. well, we're coming towards the end, but I think uh, you know, as, a, as someone who's been in business but certainly done business in lots of different places in the world, uh, I'm interested in your three top tips uh, for doing business in general. Yes. So I'll, I'll go for it. So number one, um, I would say. To put it in 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 in, in synthesis, it will be make sure you put your heart into things. So mm-hmm. do it. Do, do work with your integrity, your credibility. Not not for the money. The money will come, but make sure that you put your heart and your integrity into it. That's tip number one. Yep. Tip number two is, uh, or oh, we discussed it yesterday, and I need to remember it. <laughs> uh, hold on. Tip number two we discussed was. Uh, I remember now tip number three. I I got a blank on me now. That's all right. Shoot to number, number three. Shoot to number three, okay. and then you might it might come to you. Okay. So the tip number three was a sentence that I always learned from my grandfather and from my mom telling me about my grandfather. That he used to say the sentence is, "You can only eat one steak a day." Mm. So it means don't be greedy when you do trade. Make sure you do okay for yourself, but make sure that everybody else can have it. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's actually quite important. Ah, okay. I remember the tip number two. The tip number two was: remember when you're working on teams, when you're working with people, that everybody is equal. Um, it's it's a very important rule. You're not lower than anybody else, but you're not better than anybody else. Mm. And if you remember that everybody is equal, I think you can do a, a lot of good in trade because you're going to consider everybody's opinion. And you're going to be able to satisfy everybody's expectation. Mm. So those are my three tips. Excellent, Moshe. Well, look, I think that's a really good uh, a really good space to end on. Thank you very much for your time today. I'm sure what you uh, our discussion has been of interest to a lot of people. It's not something that you hear about every day. Um, so it's been great having you on the show. Well, I want to thank you also. Thank you for having me, and I'm available, as you know, for you 24 seven. Thanks, Moshe. Okay. Bye. 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 Okay, well, that was a fantastic interview with Moshe Tawil. Uh, We're going to take a very short break, and then I will be back with Propeller Head of the Week. Okay, now it's time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Now, the Propeller Head of the Week this week is about uh, an application which I use, uh, which is called Buffer.com. It is basically a social media sharing application. What you do is you attach all your different social media accounts, be it LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and the like, and you can put a post onto their uh, onto the page, and basically what it will do is it'll post it on the different platforms. You can even preview to how it's going to look on the different social media platforms as well. So I find this 
apt to be very useful for my business, particularly those of you that follow the Finance Hour. You'll see that I, I post uh, various segments on. Uh, my particular focus is on LinkedIn. You can also schedule the timing of when you want those posts to occur. So typically I find that posts uh, towards the end of the day, 4 or 4.30, tend to perform the best. So I set them to go off at that time. It's usually when people are getting a bit bored at work and thinking about going home and they're scrolling through their social media. So Buffer.com, for anyone who's in business and uh, looking at social media platforms, it's the one that I use and it's quite effective. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Please, if you enjoyed the show, go to uh, the Finance Hour, search us on iTunes and leave a rating and review. Uh, For other episodes, you can either look on the Finance Hour iTunes account or just go to my website, adaptwealth.com.au and go to the podcast page. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week.